Hello and welcome to the Outdoor Lives podcast. This is one of our occasional midsummer specials. My name is Mike Rain, author of Nature of Snowdonia and the mountain leader of Practical Manual. This podcast is free to air, ad-free and music-free. You can find out more about me and my workshops and e-learning modules at micrain.co.uk or maybe even join my Patreon forward slash Mike Rain channel. My guest today is legendary rock climber, mountaineering instructor, climate activist and author James McAfee. James is well known in climbing circles for his high-end ascents of some of the hardest sport and trad rock climbs in the world. He's climbed over 100 routes above E7 on site and over 200 routes above that grade altogether. One of the things that really impressed me, because I kind of relate to it, is soling 100 extremes in a day in the Lake District. And, you know, having done half a dozen extremes in the lakes in a day, I know that's an incredible achievement. He's completed all the climbs in Ken Wilson's Extreme Rock. He's the king of the pass, having climbed Jerry's Roof, Central Icefall Direct and Lord of the Flies all on the same day. Now, James has done several podcasts about climbing, and whilst we will talk about climbing, it's impossible not to, um, I really want to get on to some of the other things now, particularly the book that he's just produced called Ellery. So that will come along in the podcast. So, James, how are you today? I'm really good, Mike. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. We haven't hung out much in more recent years. No, Since we worked no. at Plaza Brennan together. We, we have worked together in the past, but uh, life goes in different directions, doesn't it? Yeah. Actually, you know, one of the things that occurred to me is, are you the climber with the most misspelt name? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I'm not bothered about how my name's spelt. You know, I'm not really fussy about it. But, but yeah, yeah, the McAfee bit will get me. Yeah, I wrote it down about three times and then I had to check on your website. And uh, maybe you'd be even more famous if people... Yeah, I'd probably misspelled it on my website. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Anyway, what are you doing today now? So you're sort of a freelance mountaineering instructor. How's that panning out? Uh yeah, it's, it's panning out okay. Let's say I was, I was working for the BMC for seven years as their youth and partnerships and then youth and equity officer, so organising lots of events. But um, now I'm just finding my feet again. So I guess I'm a semi-professional climber, so I get a bit of money off sponsors, off DMM and Boreal for yeah. uh, for climbing. I do the odd ML training assessment. I do quite a lot of performance coaching and self-rescue courses. Doing a bit, quite a bit of work for Pazzy Brennan and Glenmore Lodge and Phil George. And then um, flogging that book. <laughs> Plug in my book. Yeah. What was the role at the BMC? Uh, that was well. It started off youth and partnerships offices. It was looking at um, trying to improve uh, access for kids from urban areas, from slightly gnarlier backgrounds, into climbing in the outdoors. And then it, and it branched into equity about halfway through my seven years. And then it was be actioning the points for the equity steering group, which were meant to guide the BMC around matters of equity. So there were five subgroups around disability, mental health, uh, ethnicity, uh, gender equality and mental health. What drew you to that post? Um, what drew me to that post? Well, partly the equity side, I got given it, but I did have a, a strong interest on the disability front. Um, and in fact, then there was another subgroup, the LGBTQ, that got thrown in there. And yeah, the... I guess Sophie, my ex-partner, she looked at the job role that I was looking at and said, oh, you'd be good at that. Mm. And uh, I guess because I was from a poorish background myself and climbing's given me so much. Mm. I just think, you know, 
you know, think about doing research, dream white horse, it's flying buttress. You just think it'd be a life changing experience. Mm. And it, it stopped my dad from going to jail, he reckoned. So I thought, you know, um, and then you know, the BMC, I've always had a warm spot in my heart. You know, I used mm. to go on the BMC youth meet as a kid. Uh, so it seemed a cool organisation to work for. And um, yeah, I knew I could throw a lot of energy into that, that form of work. So that's why I went for it. Your dad was a climber. He was, yeah, Ray McAfee done a few hundred new routes in Borodale Valley. They tried up Pinnacle over a thousand times. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't like it as a kid, mind, but yeah, mid-teens I did get into it. Well, I mean, climbers are often quite, um, I don't know if selfish is the right word, but certainly focused on what they want to do. Mm. Is that was that how your dad was? Does that make it difficult for you as a kid? Uh, well, no, I mean, I wouldn't have said it any difficult. When I was a kid, I thought he was daft going climbing. I just oh, thought it was I a see. stupid thing to do. You know, he's always yeah. bike. He didn't drive because he only had half an eye or whatever. You know, his eye had got yeah. uh, bottled in some fight, he reckoned, Crikey. in Carlisle. So, you know, he, he biked down Borodale, and I just thought he was wasting his life. Really? <laughs> but then I was just off nicking shit in shops and, you know, being a proper chav. Gosh, in Keswick. Um, in Keswick, yeah. Keswick's um, changed a bit. It has changed, yeah. It's full of tops now. It's the Keswick upon Thames now. That's it, yeah. Full wow. Of... So how did you get into climbing then? I w- there was a girl I fancied. I went to the climbing wall uh, when I was probably 14 yeah. and liked the movement. And then I'd, and then I asked Dad to take me out and he took me to try to pinnacle. And after that, before long, I was climbing every day. Yeah. Know, just got the bug and ev- everything else uh, in life just got put on wow. hold. So did did you just go climbing or did you go to university or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, so, well, I worked at Rock and Run for two or three years. I fucking yeah. hated it. In the shop, yeah. yeah. absolutely hated it. And then, um, and then yeah, I did, like, an access course in psychology and then, yeah, I went oh, to Bang okay. University. And that was the bet to do sustainable development as a science side, so like environmental science. And um, and that was the best move I ever made was moving to North Wales. So something that pricked your interest in climate change and sustainability, even those days... Yeah, so you know when I when I started work at the Brennan after I'd finished my course at Bangor, then my, the first general interest talks I gave were on global warming. So stuff about the Stern report, you know, Nicholas Stern, yeah. he wrote that report before the IPCC, pretty much, and then um, you know slagging off Nigel Lawson and his great climate yeah. swindle. I know, I remember that because yeah. I remember thinking, what are you doing talking about climate change? You're supposed to talk about your climate holidays and expeditions and things, but because because you were calf and you were really good we just let you get on with it and it was brilliant wasn't it you were ahead of your time i wouldn't have gone that far but yeah like i say i thought uh, you know you know when you you kind of studied a bit of it for a few years and yeah. had an interest in it you think well i'm not just gonna sit on it and quietly yeah. think yeah. about it on my own <laughs> and that's a few years ago now isn't it that was what, 2007 i think started at pyb and we're still not really getting this sustainability oh, thing into what we do are we no it's absolutely screwed you know i mean the fact is i think the ipc so the intergovernmental panel on climate change and yeah. the met office said oh we've got 12 years to do something this was like seven yeah. years ago yeah and obviously trump got in power and, yeah. and then the war's kicking off so you know nobody's got their eye on the ball so we're, we're down for worst case scenarios oh gosh so do you get climate anxiety I don't particularly, uh, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, mum was a Jehovah's Witness and, you know, they're, they're brought up to that millenarian style uh, religion where they believe in Armageddon and end yeah, of the world and yeah. shit like that. So, uh, but I, I I do feel sorry for kids because if they're not getting climate anxiety, mm. then uh, then they're very fatalistic human beings. Mm. So, you know, I, I feel sorry for kids nowadays, partly because obviously they had the pandemic and then they've had World War Three mm. and they've got climate change. And I just think it's a rotten old fucking time excuse the language it really too, is, yeah. for kids i just think yeah. you know 
yeah, I think it's extremely tough, uh, like mentally, yeah. for kids at the minute. And you've you have actually been out on climate protest as well, haven't you? You've you know you've put your body where your mouth is. Well, yeah, I, did. I mean, I didn't get arrested, yeah, because of the fucking effect of my job. But uh, yeah, I was impressed with the ballsy nature of some of the XR team and i didn't think they'd get anywhere extinction rebellion yeah, but yeah. that first protest that yeah. that got all the governments in the uk to sign a climate emergency yeah. so it was a highly successful well-organized protest that first protest yeah. i was blown away with them protest does work actually doesn't it people don't realize that yeah and that's why the government are trying to close it down at the moment well that's it yeah they are with that uh what's it what's it called the bill I can't there's some sort of protest it. bill but Oh. But yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're a bunch of clueless, rotten sods, the, the current government. Yeah. Um, I think that comes through in your book. <laughs> which, I would hope so. Which we'll come to. So, um, you ste- you went to Plaster Brennan then, so you worked as a mountaineering instructor. I mean, did you did you want to be a mountaineering instructor, or is it just because you were a climber, you thought, crikey, I, bet I, you know, I, can, I need to make a living somehow, and taking people climbing to be as easy as anything? Yeah, I guess it was one of the things I wanted to be. I think, one, you know, you know, when you're young and absolutely clueless, yeah, like, yeah. you know, my attitude to work when I was a teenager, as teenagers yeah. can be clueless, I was as clueless as any anybody in the, yeah, on earth, yeah, but, yeah. you know, for that age range, I would have said, you know, it was just, I was just thinking, <laughs> you know, everyone else, anyone can do a job I'd do, so I'm just yeah. going to fuck off climbing. <laughs> that was my attitude to work. But I, I did think about being a mountaineering instructor, I thought about being some sort of scientist, and I guess I did end up ticking the boxes, so to speak, of both yeah, those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was going to go back into something like the Environment Agency after the first year at the Brennan, but oh, yeah. you know, um, Martin Chester asked us to stay on. Yeah. And to be yeah. fair, I think I stayed on too long. I did seven years there. I think three or four years would have been best, but it's yeah. an easy place to hang out, wasn't it? It's, 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 a, it's a confusing place in that <laughs> sense because the work is absolutely wonderful, yeah. um, but it is an institution and that comes with all sorts of baggage. Um, what I would say to, to listeners, though, is I do remember uh, you working there and, and doing things like hill walking and navigation courses. And then people said, oh, what was it like being with James McAfee? And they're like, well, it was lovely. It was great. It's like, yeah, but he's really famous. Is this, oh, we didn't know he was a climber. And so you would never push yourself as a as a, a top climber, you know, that they would have to work it out, I guess, which I always thought was really the sweet sound a bit pathetic, but you know, Jeez, I just mate. thought it was professional that you did your job as a mountaineer instructor. Now, a lot of people would say, "Don't instruct climbing," because it'll put you off climbing. It hasn't put you off climbing, has it? No, and I and I saw them as two separate things because I guess the levels, you know, even on the performance rock courses, I wasn't yeah. really mainly climbing above E two, E three. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was out for myself and normally warm up on E fives. Yeah. So I could kind of segregate, and then I I, I love the walking stuff, you know, I, you know, I, I yeah, love walking yeah. the mountains. So it was nice for a mix and match. Yeah, because um, you're a runner as well, aren't you? Oh, well, I used to be. Yeah. I've gone slack during the pandemic. I just became slack on the running. I'd be more likely to yeah. smoke a rolly than go for a run. Yeah, yeah. But that's um, bad. yeah, but uh, but yeah, I am going to get back into it. I do, I do, yeah. do love it. Well, I decked out in Pembroke in September, so my leg, oh, but my really? legs pretty much recovered from that now. So I'll oh, start dear. to. Yeah. Try it. Have you had many bad falls? I've had two. One twenty eighteen decked out in Lundy. Yeah. And that that was a near miss. Yeah, I kind of decked out backwards through boulders, uh, like granite boulders, and uh, yeah. one tomahawk the top of my head. I'd given Georgia the helmet because one was broken. She was belaying and tomahawk the head, and my back started spasming. And then she said, "Got a head cut, your head cut," and my hair started coming out in clumps in the middle with blood. You know what head wounds are like, and uh, yeah, just sheared a load of hair off. And I thought oh. my fingers were going to go in, you know, 
feel my brain or something. Yeah. And um, but yeah, anyway, it ended up my wrist being the worst thing from that. Then yeah, the Pembroke one looked like it sh- I thought it shattered or shunted my body, my left side of my body upwards. Yeah. It all went landed straight legged from twenty foot some gear ripped in yeah. um, on a rock platform yeah. and it just all went in a bulk there how I got away with it I'll never know so anyway all messages out there yeah move on. hey let's just go back to the BMC because I've, I'm, I have a feeling I might be wrong that a lot of your experience there did did help with the book the journey that you went on with the book meeting the people the places you were working the sort of work you were doing so what, what were you doing on a day to day basis there uh, it, the job at the BMC was the best job I've ever had by a million miles yeah. and there was a fantastic crew of people who were yeah. super supportive so it was very varied you know I mean they were very into meetings I've got to say but a lot of my work was organizing events so organizing youth climbing meets organizing kind of outdoor programs for young people so organize yeah. the partnership with the association of mountaineering instructors to run like sport trad days for young yeah. people um, running things like the student safety seminar setting up yeah, webinars around mental health, setting up, um, you know, like uh, training courses for instructors to work with people with a variety of disabilities, and then, uh, you know, having like open days for people mm. with maybe learning disabilities, with profound disabilities, so, you know, people in wheelchairs. Um, so that that was kind of some of the work, and some of it was quite, you know, quite involved on crossing T's and dotting I's, like improve, you know, doing all the work, or most of the work to uh, get gain the, a higher level of the quality standards to so the intermediate yeah. level of the quality standard and that was working with the staff board uh, the equity steering group like Cressida Allwood was awesome she was chair of the equity steering group at mm-hmm. that point and that was the biggest bit of work done by a million miles involved mm-hmm. you know, 30,000 words um, surveys Gosh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, audits and then um, giving a presentation to the equality assessor Jane Holdsworth with, with people yeah. key people at the BMC Do you, Did you make a difference? Yeah, no, I mean, well, that's it. So, I mean, like I say, it was uh, it was the best job I ever had by a mile. It was good for both me and the BMC because I, I had a reputation for running very good events mm. and I had good contacts to run stuff like youth climbing meets. You know, mm. I could always get mm. uh, high, highly competent people to come and uh, support these events and same on stuff like student safety seminar. And it was good for me because it made miles more employable in terms of the variety of work. Uh, but they were super supportive and just very good management. <laughs> no offense to some of the places we've worked. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was, you know, at the time I was there, it, you like to say, like, Kate, um, Kate Anwell was just fantastic. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I basically pumped, you know, over a hundred grand into really positive wow. events and for, you know, giving kids who might not have the opportunities more opportunities. And then, as well as having, Thousands, helping thousands of people go on courses, mm. maybe tens of thousands, you know, because I did the admin for stuff like Black Dog Outdoors, supporting their events. Yeah, so it was, yeah, I think it I did make a difference. One thing I would have liked to have done that I didn't do, so my, one of my uh, my ideas, mm. <laughs> dream ideas, was to set up a climbing for all fund or a walking for all fund. So one of the main barriers for underrepresented groups you know, so that's people from those socioeconomic backgrounds, yeah, which underpins yeah. a lot of people with disability, people with mental health condition, women. Yeah. You know, these are people who are more likely to be poor, people from ethnically diverse backgrounds. Um, but having a fund they could access to get them into the outdoors. Mm. And if you had, you know, let's say, because um, if, if you had a fund that, you know, for, for people from poor backgrounds could access climbing walls, and the climbing walls could invoice the BMC, and then you've got, you can evidence 
that you're supporting uh, people into it and you could you know there's quite a lot of, it'd be quite easy to manage and evidence and that's the sort of thing that people at sporting them like but, but also i'd chip in you know if there was a fun thing oh you know and yeah. i'm not rich yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something that people could people probably get behind it, has somebody taken on the role now is there another person there's a guy called role? alex taking on I, I don't know anything i like to say okay. i guess yeah. I so he'll did. develop some of these things, presumably. I don't. Well, I don't know if he'll develop that. You know, I think he's he's probably. I imagine he's from a very different background from me. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if he's a climber or walker, but but yeah, it's it's kind of changing. Then I did um, blow out my bridges. I, I think it's safe to say I kind of blind copied a specific email okay. to eviscerate two people. Well, there was there was some difficult times at the BMC. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, it's coming through it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm a long time BMC volunteer, and I stepped away as well. But. Uh, I think we'd still both support what they're doing. I've got um, a lot of good friends there, and absolutely. I think the volunteers are fantastic. Yeah, you know, they've yeah, put a lot definitely. of... Um, yeah, I've been blown away with the volunteers. I'd always like to see the BMC and the Ramblers do more together, sort of a combined yeah. voice talking to the powers that be. I'm sure that would be... Yeah, because the Ramblers are massive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and it is important to say we always associate the BMC with climbing. You were doing walking stuff as well with that role, weren't you? Yeah, totally. Yeah, the Black Dog Outdoor stuff was was walking all the stuff around EDI yeah. was both walking and climbing okay so then I heard you were writing a book and uh, I thought here we go another rock stars book um, it might be good it might not be good you know but it, it's it's I hate to say it's not interesting because one of the pieces in the book you have written about um, the central character solo in central <laughs> sadness is, is a real Real, really well done. That was my editor, uh, editor's favourite chapter, and I, I didn't, yeah, let's say, I, yeah, I'm clueless about whether the chapter's good or bad, yeah. but yeah, she liked that bit. It was really well done. So, so I do believe you could write a good book, and you've certainly got the stories from climbing, and you've got things. I love those things that are t- unbelievably impressive, but we can kind of understand why they're impressive because we've done one extreme in the lakes. The thought of doing hundred in a day, so so. I would not rule out doing that book, but you wrote a novel. Yeah. Why did you write a novel? Uh, I've always had it in mind to write a, um, you know, to, or to have a go at writing something, you know, like a, yeah. bit, you know, a book style thing. But it was originally, I, I love sci-fi and fantasy, so I thought, well, maybe it'd be down that realm. But I read Solaris down there, you can see it stands oh, yeah, for Lemon, yeah. thought, fuck, I could never write anything yeah, yeah. like this. <laughs> and then, impressive. yeah, I was at a friend's wedding last year, like Clea and uh, Helen Hughes. I was at their wedding and a lad called Jesu, I didn't know, just said, I was saying, I was thinking about yeah. leaving the BMC and he said he'd read some of the stuff. But yeah, I said I was lost as to what to do. He said, read some of your stuff, mm. I liked it, you should write a book. And then I, I wrote out a few synopses and I knew, I, I got this one and I thought, fucking hell, you know, I've had mm. such fantastic level of hatred for the likes of George Osborne, David Cameron, Boris Johnson. Mm. And and I, I looked at the synopsis and I thought, fuck, I could, I mm. could really... Uh, pour and Im- I knew I could pour an immense amount of energy into it so the synopsis really grabbed me and, and you know and it, let's say I googled how to write a book and it wasn't particularly hard and you know let's say writing out the synopsis writing out chapter outlines and before long it just gathered momentum yeah. and and I had a real riot you know like a lot of fun Did you? writing it and you know because like I said there's nothing you can do these people like Boris Johnson Dave Cam George O'Brien, they've just got vast wealth yeah. and vast wealth you know you look at Trump you know, that son of a bitch, you know, mm. caused the capital riots, it's mm. caused such division, mm. and he's not in jail. You know, this vast wealth does buy impunity, but mm. but I guess what I could do is just pour my scorn and give my friends a laugh at these people's expense into this mm. book. So 
the book is a mixture of homage to North Wales that I absolutely love as a place. Mm. Um, a bit about, you know, the area, the landscapes and the party scene. And then it, uh, and a, a bit Ken Loach-esque, let's say one of the key char- characters, Penny, you know, she's in a wheelchair. She has to start using a food bank and the indignity of having to use that with a reduction in PIP, mm. personal independence payments. And then, yeah, like I said, it's my middle finger at the likes of these really cretins. Is, yeah. So the book's called Ellery. Ellery's a central character. Um, she's not based on a real person, is she? she I can see you pull bits of people. She's into not her. actually. What is funny is I got you know there's various bits of trouble I got into once it was out. But it, basically, some an Ellery, a friend, contacted me and she got me to change a couple of the key names just because the party scenes she related yeah. to some of her friends, even though it was separate. You know, it's yeah. funny. So just what's Ellery's story? She's brought up here, not very wealthy. But clever. Yeah, smart. So she's brought up in Dinny Ollen. Now, Dinny Ollen, you know, it's an old quarrying village, you know, high up, um, you know, on the side of a Lydia Bower, pretty much. Very beautiful place. But mm. the fact is, it is very poor. You know, it was an objective one area when it was in Europe 20 years ago. It had a lot of money pumped into it because it, it was, you know, had a much lower than average GDP. And, um, and she's from a, a poorer end of working class because people say, oh, working class is working class. The fact is, a lot of people from working class, like builds and stuff, can actually be quite rich. Yeah. But the poorer end, the precariats, they're truly, they, these people who are fucking poor, you know, yeah. people yeah. in rented accommodation who are, are in debt or have no wealth and are, are not far off, you know, ending up fucking homeless. So they can, you know, they can have a, yeah, but she's from a family that has a lot of love within her home, but it tries to bring out that that kind of poverty and it has made me laugh over the years just how fucking rich like a lot of friends just you know they don't realize how fucking loaded they are from a middle class background from a family that owns a house and they've got you know mum and dad giving them a bit of money they just come across as just fantastically clueless it's always been you know you do mention that familial wealth oh man yeah just (laughs) and it just and nowadays especially within the climbing world it's just even the sponsorship scheme it's often like you know the spoiled brats support yeah. schemes like <laughs> just but yeah. coming coming back to Ellery, she did get into climbing how did she get into climbing all right so she she got into climbing in a in a mid in her early teens because it does two friends uh or right, oshan yeah. <laughs> and lewis were into it she joined in the climbing wall got them to take her out and then she became more adept than they were at climbing mm, quite she's quickly clearly she, talented that's it she started doing the leads on routes like pull my daisy like you know yeah. coolie two on the rainbow slab and, and had an affinity for slate and it's obviously the slate quarries are a key uh, yeah. part of the landscape within the book how much time have you spent in the slate quarries i've spent an awful lot of time you know i used to solo there a lot I used to run there a lot I used to go and smoke in the some of the blast shelters on my own and done various other activities in the quarries. So I, I did love the quarries. It's a special place, isn't it? Yeah, it's a magic spot. Yeah. A lot of great climbs in there as well. Yeah. And it's a place that changes over the years, I think, and grows. You know, I, I go there now to see the nature rather than the climbing because it's uh, you've got uh, ecological recovery in there where it's away from people and, and pesticides and things. It's a beautiful place to go with the quarries. So the quarries are another central character, aren't they? Ellery gets Ellery gets this social injustice sense. She just that just grows in her, does it, as she experiences life? Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I guess you know, partly in chapter one and chapter two, you know, it's quite a bit about one of her poorer friends who, you know, has hit every branch of unlucky in life. I think Matthew mm. is his name, 
and she didn't like how he was treated. Um, so yeah, that gives you know, and also her background, grub Dinny Ollen, gives her a, a sense, you know, how people lower socioeconomic and people from underrepresented groups can can end up having a, a bit of a hard time, and how policy, you know, government mm. policies affect that. So that's why she you know, maybe gets into a job with the Joseph Rowntree Foundation the, and the kind of Trussell Trust. Uh, you know, doing work to try and reduce inequality. So that's kind of the vein that she goes down. That's really interesting. That and her brother um, lives this life to its end, doesn't he? He, he gets he pays the full price for. And don't inequality. give it away completely, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. So um, but the things that happen to him are the things that happen in, to people every day. They are the things that happen, and and they're the they're the things. Like I say, if you know, for a lot of people, if your vehicle you know, need to work in a garage, that can push you over the edge. And it's about being on the bread line, being yeah. on the proper, where only takes a couple of wrong turns of luck and you are fucking screwed. Yeah. And it's all, it's about how it can just feel um, shameful. Mm. You know, to be poor feels shameful. And a lot of the work for poorer people is fucking shit work. Yeah. You know, and I've done just fantastically shit jobs in the past that, you know, that are just... Hard work, brutal, dangerous, and fucking badly paid. Yeah, and there's not a lot of money coming in at the end of the month. And if, if you want to buy a tyre for your car and it's even 40 or 50 quid, it, it's an enormous sum, isn't it? Well, and especially with the current cost of living, I mean, it's fucking... Yeah. You know, I, I generally never think about f- food costs and stuff like that. But I go out and I'm, I'm noticing now and I'm just yeah. thinking, well, for a lot of families, this oh, is fucking yeah. brutal. Yeah. Yeah, really is, brutal. Yeah, yeah, we've had to stop going out to restaurants. Yeah, and the <laughs> likes of Rishi Sunak and stuff going like, just hold your nerve. And, you know, when these these assholes just completely yeah. just don't have a clue. And in fact, you know, they've done research that shows people who are very, very rich often, they don't even see the poor as humans. Do you know what I mean? They very much, they very much distance themselves wow. yeah. from uh, you know, people who are struggling, homeless, yeah. mentally. Not all, but you know there there is yeah. a there's a distance there with people from such affluence. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah, no, you don't, I know. Um, what what I wanted to ask you about is how the book builds to the crescendo, but obviously we don't want to give it away. <laughs> so was it difficult to create where you took it to? Did you have different ideas of how to finish it? All right, uh, yeah, yeah. So the very ending, uh, I did, but. The chapter on Morrigan, so the dark goddess of fate, war, death, retribution, ravens. Now, I had that in my mind, and I had the number 85 bus in my mind, <laughs> and I had the catacombs uh, in my mind. So I had a rough idea of where it was going, but whether it stayed in the realms of a possi- you know, possibility or the realm of fantasy, I yes. didn't know exactly where I was going to take it. And, and the very ending as to who... Who lives and who dies, who survives and stuff like that. I wasn't happy with it, and there was arg, you know, and friends who had read various drafts. You know, there was arguments and discussions. You know, the friend Dan McManus wanted me to take the Pig Kings chapter out, oh, really? and it was quite dark when I first you know, wrote mm. that. But Emma Crumb said that was her favourite chapter, oh, so I left it in. I did change it and shorten it. Yeah. So you know, there's arguments and discussions, yeah. and, I, and I'm not precious. You know, the fact is, I want it to be, I want it to be. Um, I wanted it to to have input from friends yeah. and feedback, and I, I think you you know you can't take every bit of feedback. No, you daft, can't. Be daft not to take yeah. on board yeah. good input from friends. Yeah. Owen Shears, I, I saw a talk of his at Hay Festival, and he said writing is rewriting. 
and that stayed with me because that's that for me i write everything twice yeah yeah it's the same feel yeah i mean i i yeah i just over and yeah like exactly just editing and re-editing and going back yeah. and pouring up chapters and thinking which big chapters need bits of work and let's say it was the ending i wasn't happy with it for ages and ages and i had a conversation with bramsby for half an hour after he'd read it and uh something clicked in my mind and let's say i only had to add two two paragraphs but it made it so that i was happy with Brilliant. it it meant i could i knew yeah. i'd put a smile on a lot of friends faces yeah <laughs> and that's what that yeah that's what at the end of the day i was after out of the yeah. book Oh, you mentioned Bransby there. There's one or two cameos like that. So <laughs> yeah. Are you just taking the mick out of your friends there, or how, you know how did you have to be a bit careful there? Because this is in a book. This is in print forever. Yeah, no. Well, that's it. I mean, I'd um, you know my um, edit proofreader, Sophie Larry James. In fact, she she was like, oh, you know, you have to change all the names, and I did change more names. But so I thought I want to take the piss out of the odd friend, and then <laughs> some people wanted to be in the book, and I did ask. And the majority of people who are in the book who might be identified as friends yeah and um, i did ask them if they were happy to be in it and and also like i say although with the named in there and maybe the, the physical appearance is similar they, they are totally different characters yeah. To, yeah. within the book it is yeah. just a book and i had to explain that in fact <laughs> when i got the odd message afterwards i said look it's all fiction at yeah. the end of the day it is not, a story book about. The yeah although it is based on i mean the party in the raves are just well, just completely beyond my comprehension. I mean, that world. He, well, that's it. The first two thirds of the book, a lot of it is actually from uh, real life yeah. events from my my life, and um, and in fact, and some of it I'd totally forgotten about, like the car chase that Thomas has. It was more epic than that. Oh wow! I, I, it involved me running <laughs> running up, uh, so it involved proper car chase and my little panda. Involved me running up to the Cromlick and uh, soiling up cemetery gates and my trainers to get away. Wow! And then. Um, and the fight, there was a fight scene in jo when Jordan was a kid and, and I'd forgotten it was real feral kind of scene. It, it, was, it was my friend, John Lone, the hardest lad in school, but he'd, he'd called um, somebody's partner, this lad called Jamie, his, his partner, something or other, you know what the kids mm, are like. Mm, mm. And this guy, guy was quite a bit older than John and at that age, just mm. quite a bit bigger. And we're in the garage and um, this other lad, Dean, comes in, says, you don't have to fight him if you don't want Fair play, John went out. To fight him and i had this dog called rex that was that, that i thought i couldn't have him involved in the fight because it'd get put down if it bit somebody so i was holding off this dog and john beat this kid to a pulp it was a it was fucking really brutal you know horrible oh man yeah just dark kind of scene mm. anyway but the rave scenes are, are quite jolly in, in the main aren't yeah they? i mean that, quite, you know people are having a good time people having a fantastic time yeah yeah, and yeah. it's something that did happen here in the quarries. Yeah, no, it was part of you know, yeah. the open air raves and and some indoor raves. Yeah. That was a big, big part of the North Wales scene. And techno, there's a lot of techno DJs in the well, a lot of DJs in the area. Yeah. So the nineties dancing, nineties uh, and yeah, and more recently there's been yeah, a few. Yeah, gosh, yeah, yeah, missed that. I missed that unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, um, it's obviously been well received as a book and i've certainly enjoyed it how happy with it are you i'm i'm super i'm i'm really pleased about it and i didn't i didn't realize how pleased so when it when it came out in print i i felt high as a kite for a mm. month it might have been i've not felt anything like it you know i don't think ever within within climbing i just felt you know and it like kind of just it's emotional. It, yeah, it? it felt yeah. relieved that I'd got it out, and yeah, uh, yeah. and then and but then as to as to its reception, I was blown away. This this musician I follow on Twitter, Cheryl Law, yeah. 
she read it really fast and give it a rave review. Yeah. And I was blown away because I've never yeah. given anything. I'm just a bit lazy to still think <laughs> about reviewing. But that she was asked doing that. I was yeah. made up. And then, yeah, a lot of friends really like it. So I'm, I'm made up with with its reception that people, oh, a lot good. of friends do like yeah. it. So where do people buy Elodie from? They can buy it from my website now. So I've, I've got Alex Riley because I'm useless with websites. But, yeah. So I've got like a climbing guiding website and he shoved it on there just under a tab books <laughs> so people could book yeah. it on there and I'll, I'll post it out or they can buy it on Amazon as a Kindle or Kobo as a Kindle or a print on demand on Amazon as well right. but it's better for you if they buy direct from you they can buy direct but they can also get it from V12 outdoors oh, okay. yeah. and yep. uh, supporting the lads in there and then um, yep. where is it Rum Doodle as well excellent so yeah Clamberis shops excellent oh that's really good now most people and I'm certainly in this group when they've finished a book say I'm never doing that again are you doing it again? I am doing it again, yeah. <laughs> Why? Uh, I guess because I really enjoyed that. And I would love to make a living a little bit off an author and a little bit off the outdoors. Mm. I think that would be my ideal. And uh, I had such a riot writing this book. Literally, I was in stitches, not to laugh at your own jokes <laughs> as you went by, but, <laughs> you know, I, I just found it um, a lot of fun to write it and I also so I thought about stuff I've got a passion about and as we mentioned at the start then climate change and global warming mm. is one of them like, I've, I've just I've found it surreal over the last 20 years how nobody's asked about this massive white elephant you know they're, they're asked about a tiny bit of erosion a bit of rock or somebody chipping something but they're not asked that their grandchildren are going to be living in a shithole compared with them because of global warming because they've flown somewhere warmer yeah. and because they're not putting pressure on the government to fucking be less myopic yeah. and, the, and that the governments are just doing fuck all about it i found it quite appalling so i'm going to write some it's going to be probably called like grace's climate history so it can be set a little bit in the future maybe 2030 mm. so shit's gonna have hit the fan in terms of ecological shifts because they're not linear you know things like eutrophication um you know it's as the ice disappears obviously it's mm. not reflecting that uh, heat back into the sun it's getting absorbed by the water uh, so it can ha all happen much more swiftly and she's gonna speak to people in the commune i'll probably place it a cat in Cunliffe. Oh, okay like yeah. alternative yeah. technology would yeah. be good it's still gonna be rooted in north wales it's gonna be rooted in north wales but yeah she's gonna build the climate diaries and it's gonna have some fantastic twists and turns oh, because okay. um she's gonna build the history of climate change from the realization kind of you know excesses denialism yeah. Yeah. Uh, the protests and then I'll have like a chapter on eco-terrorism where like yeah. people like Donald Trump and Bolsonaro get bumped off by eco-terrorists, that sort right. of thing. You know, giving too much away. <laughs> I'm not giving away. No, I mean, the, let's say it's only you know I've I've got rough chapter outlines, but I am I I just want to nail the synopsis a bit more yeah. before I'm going to go fucking headlong into yeah. it. And it's nice when you build those characters as well. You got those characters in mind. Yeah. Take you on the journey. Well, that's it. I'm going to have like an ex-CEO of Shell, you know, on this commune. I'll have some people, refugees. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I'll have people who have been directly. So it's going to be mm. a bit like, uh, I mean, I guess the end of Hilary, it goes a bit like Life of Pi, where you've got these different yeah, yeah. Uh, imaginary kind of figures who are... Let's bring the Ben Elton stuff to mind. That was a while ago, wasn't it? I like Ben Elton stuff. stuff. I like Gridlock yeah. and um, yeah. High Society. yeah. They were very good observations of the time. Yeah. So you're busy writing. You're available freelance mountaineering instruction and coaching. You're working a bit at the national centres, um, doing some performance coaching as well. But still climbing too. What it? What it? Where's he climbing at at the moment? Is it, are you still chasing the big numbers or are you chasing? I guess I am. Well, I've never. The tick lists. 
Yeah, I mean, mainly ticklets. Let's say, so I want to complete hard and classic rock. And I, yeah. I might well do hard rock this year. Let's say it wouldn't take a ton of effort. I will be up in Scotland quite a lot. And, and that's fantastic because, you know, it gets into the landscapes, yeah. beautiful landscapes often I've not visited. Uh, and on routes that I find low stress. Like I had a fantastic nine days in Scotland with Ryan Pascal recently. We just made a fire pit beneath uh, the buckle, mm. no midges, swimming and doing stuff like Agag's Groove and Raven's Gully and Long Climb on the Ben. And it was just a fantastically fun trip rather than sometimes on these trips in the past where I've been like just pushing the boat out on site in E7s, mm. you know, where you, your eyes are on stalks and you're just like high stress. You know, you don't realise you've just got this fucking cortisol mm. running through you. <laughs> you know, like for years I probably had like just fucking pure cortisol running through my blood a lot of the time. Whereas this was just like full lax, you know, caught up with cubby. But I quit booze for four months to start this year. And even having a fair few rollies, I think it's fair to say, it's been best I've climbed since doing Meltdown oh, in 2012. Interesting. Yeah, I listened to a podcast by yeah. Uberman who said, if you have three or four drinks on a Friday and Saturday night yeah. on a regular basis, yeah. the stress levels in your brain stay high for two months oh, after you stop drinking. And I'd, I'd listened to this, and this was late last year, yeah. and I'd been boozing every day for months. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd just got into a habit of it. So I thought, right. And and early March, I thought it was been microdosed on MDMA. I felt so good well-being wise. So I've you know, and I fell off the wagon a little bit recently. But I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna drink the next few weeks. And yeah, I've got. Yeah, I nearly did a new French nine A down in um LPT in April. Got quite close, and then wow. did a Font Eight that same afternoon. So it was like one of the strongest climbing days I've had, and it felt just fantastic for confidence. You know, because I'm 42 now yeah. to feel like I could almost yeah. climb as well as ever have yeah. been. So. Yeah, kicking the booze. And yeah, I've got some pretty amazing trad projects that I'll be trying and I'd hope to oh, get. Oh, I'd love to see what they are. That would be interesting, that. It is. It just strikes me there, though, again, something you've said, that, you know, when people watch the Danny McCaskill videos, you kind of think he does that all the time. And I'm not sure I've spoke to you about this before. You don't climb E9 all the time, do you? So those days with, with Ryan Pascal, it must have been like being a kid again, running around in the sweet shop. Yeah. No stress, just having real fun and that's okay to do that isn't it oh we, we had fantastic crack and then, and then like you know on the walk into the bend on long climb mm. i was in a foul mood you know because um you know partly you know just i guess i was single and i was with three younger lads and all yeah. in like stable relationships and i was feeling like yeah. an acidic grinch yeah. and i got this message off this this <laughs> lovely woman who'd been to like a a um a talk had given at the hongyan oh, yeah. festival and then but yeah, by the time we'd hit the base yeah. of long climb, I was bouncing up the rock. She wanted to hey. meet up for a copy of my book and it just like fully changed. Like, it made me feel uh, yeah, high as a kite for the rest of the week. It's an emotional life, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, we're coming to the end there, Kath. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about? No, I mean, that, that's fantastic. I mean, I made up... Yeah, thanks so much for uh, writing, writing a bit about the book and for, and for getting a copy. Yeah. Mike yourself. And, yeah, I enjoyed um, it. It's good. People should read it. It's definitely yeah. Uh, and and uh, and uh, I love the fact you know it, it is a a novel written by a climber rather than a climbing book written by a novel. And sometimes you get climbing novels written by people who've done a bit of climbing as well. There are some classics, aren't there, in the old back catalogue? But uh, take it to the limit and things like that. Yeah. Could you do a climbing novel? Uh, what like a, a fiction yeah. climbing novel? Probably. Yeah. I guess I could. Uh, I'd prefer, like I say, Aleri stands alone. You could easily stand alone with yeah. no climbing at all. And yes, I'd kind of prefer that. Prefer just dipping into it a little bit. Yeah. You know, having some sort of yeah. related to emotional well-being. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the state of playing it um, rather than just focusing it all about climbing. 
Uh, I think it's probably important having some climbing in because most of your customers initially will be from a climbing. Well, they are, you're right, yeah. Most of most people have uh, been getting but it. But if you step away from that, then that would be interesting. Right, James, Kath, thank you very much. Nice one, Mike. Thanks we'll so much. Yeah, there. cracking stuff.